morning, sir. Tell me, what day is it? What day? Goddamn Christmas! That was Gary Boosie shooting up a TV with a Christmas carol on it in 1987's seasonal action film Lethal Weapon. Fill your glasses and your ammo clips because in our Christmas special, we're talking to you about our favourite Xmas movie, action classic Die Hard. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about Christmas! I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. Rich! Yo! After all we've been through, if you think I'm gonna eat the world's lousiest Christmas turkey by myself, you're crazy. So, this week we're doing a standalone Christmas special and talking about Die Hard, and Lawrence is going to tell you the plot. So, in case you're not aware, Die Hard is the story of NYPD detective John McClane, who is visiting his estranged wife in Los Angeles, where she's gone to be in an executive job at a big Japanese conglomerate. Uh, Visiting her at the office Christmas party, they are then invaded by Hans Gruber, uh, played by Alan Rickman, who, with a team of mercenaries have a plot to get into the building's vault and get rich, but McLean is loose in the building, intending to save his wife and be the lump of coal in Gruber & Co.'s Christmas stocking. And here's a clip. Is Daddy coming home soon? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Now, the last thing McLean wants think, David, think. is to be a hero. Where's Holly? Where? But he doesn't have a choice. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? So, yeah, welcome to the Cellcast Christmas special! Yeah. And we're going to talk about the greatest Christmas film ever made, which, of course, is Die Hard. Contrarians out there say it's not a Christmas film. That's just so stupid because it because it one hundred percent is a Christmas film. I, I just don't understand why we have to have this argument like every single year with people. I mean, it, it has been kind of adopted in recent years as the like subversive or the alternative Christmas film, and it has got you know explosions, bad language, violence in it. But it is also definitely a Christmas movie. Like it's it's about a man trying to get back to his family for for Christmas, and along the way he kind of learns why he lost them and how to be a better husband. I mean, not to mention that the film is constantly referencing the holiday season, and it is semi-important to the plot. Unlike... Ho, 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 now I have a machine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Can't get more Christmassy than that. <laughs> exactly. But, like, there are other action films set at Christmas, like Lethal Weapon, which Christmas isn't really that important to the plot, but in this, it's just it's constantly being referenced. So, uh, yeah. And I, uh, but I really think the main point is that thing, is that it is a film about this guy having an epiphany about his family and trying to get back to them. I just don't see how you can get more Christmassy than that. Yeah, we went to see it about a week ago at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, and we saw it on a film print, um, and it looked and sounded absolutely amazing. Yeah, that that is one of the most uh, like amazing things about this, because obviously we've seen Die Hard about a gazillion times. But this time was like was more special. I'd never seen it on the big screen before, and we saw it on this yeah big print, seventy millimeter. And I did a bit of digging, and I actually found out that that was a bit of a gimmick at the time. There were only twenty-one locations in the United States that was actually 
showing it in this larger format and everywhere else it was showing on like 35 millimeter i mean this is a bit of a film geeky thing i think this is the equivalent of like insisting that they you know listening to something on on vinyl versus like just streaming it uh there's nothing wrong with seeing die hard in whatever format but it does make it extra special to see it on the big screen and in this massive format um, i think because it does it does have an amazing quality to it doesn't it it wasn't just me like the the explosions did seem to like really even though this is over 30 years old really seemed to rock you and like it was amazing seeing some of the this spectacle in like such a large format that was amazing yeah i know it's a bit of a film nerdy thing to constantly go on about the quality of sound or the quality of the film print or the quality of the cinematography yeah. but when you see it on a screen that big it really is and actually it's got such an impact yeah and i think the great thing about die hard is that it uses sound and score really really well in it like it, it just uses such a like a diverse amount of of, of music really so you've got kind of like opera music you've got like modern rap music for the time um yeah and then of course you've kind of got this like really edgy score as well yeah. all the way through it so yeah it just works really well and why it's such a like privilege watching it on the big screen yeah it was really amazing plus i snuck in a twinkie for me and you yeah which is a, a snack food featured prominently in the in the film i i guess i think to me to like kind of start talking about like why i love die hard to me, action movies are like opera. Um, there is like a kind of hyper-reality in, in the conception that's an excuse for this really unique form of artistic expression, which is a really mouthy word of saying like... Uh, yeah, like, you're on the edge of pretentiousness. Yeah, I am on the edge of pretentiousness there. I mean, I guess I feel that if you can have someone singing really high pitched in Italian and everyone to suspend their disbelief for that and because they find the beauty in that I think you can suspend your disbelief for someone surviving a massive explosion and them building up the perfect tension to that and seeing the kind of artistic beauty in that that's that's what I see yeah I mean there's much more subtlety in Die Hard than there is in a lot of action films and that is why it is the greatest action film ever made well there is it's really especially like this time round and I think the more you see it the more you realise that there is something so much smarter going on there's there's things that they do in Die Hard that actually even though it's it's often credited as one of the best if not the best action film ever made there's things they do in it that no one's ever really done since no one's managed to copy or quite get like the vibe that it that it gives off yeah i think a part of it is to do with like of the the ensemble cast really i guess maybe ensemble cast is the wrong way to use because there isn't as if there are like loads and loads of characters that have backstory and dialogue but I think the thing that makes it really great is that whenever you cut away from John McClane and whether you go to you know Hans Gruber the possibly the, one of the greatest villains in cinematic history whether you go to Powell who's the cop on the floor uh, yeah. outside the um, the LA Convention Centre is that what, and the Nakatomi Plaza Nakatomi Plaza yeah, that's yeah. It. even Holly uh, John McClane's wife and and even like the, the FBI agents Johnson & Johnson yeah there's something about all these characters that it's either really funny or really ridiculous and it just makes you respond to the film so much more and again it's not something that you see very often in action films and what makes Die Hard such a special special film of that genre and I think as well it's not just the, the named characters as well it, it, all the terrorists are actually quite memorable as well. You yes, know, yeah, I should have said. I should have said. Yeah. You know, you don't always. I mean, Hans Gruber. Obviously, there is a lot to say about 
uh, Rickman and the, and Hans Gruber, the, the, the character he creates. But it's it's also the fact that like all of the terrorists themselves are like memorable. Maybe yeah. not on quite on first viewing, but you begin to recognise their own like little distinctive things. Like there's little moments like one of the terrorists when they're about to ambush the cop he, he like takes refuge in a in a newspaper stand and then he, he's getting ready and then he just notices below is just like loads of chocolate bars and so he just looks around both ways for a moment and then reaches in and grabs one and it just like little moments like that yeah. are just like funny like little comedic break everyone's got their his, own his name's things. Uli his name's Uli who, okay. um, and he was also Endo in Lethal Weapon <laughs> he the was one, the one who's tra- uh, torturing uh, Riggs yeah uh, so it's kind of good that he's he's kind of the go-between between the yeah, between those two films I also think I always remember him because I always think that's exactly what I'd do <laughs> if I was in if I was in some situation I was like I'm actually right next to where all the chocolate bars live I'm where all the snacks are no one can stop me I'll just like grab a fistful <laughs> especially if I'm about, I might be able to get shot in a high stakes plot to steal millions worth of bearer bonds might as well get you know Get my sugar rush on. Why not? Yeah. The other the other line that I really like is when um I, d- I think it's I don't know this character's name, but it's when he's trying to kill John and he's shooting through the table. Yeah. And then McLean runs out of uh, table and he just like he just shouts at him. He's like, "No more table." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe and again, maybe like yeah, maybe this this is something sort of slightly like nerdy or geeky but it is just kind it's of when like... you watch something over and over again you start to notice the little idiosyncrasies of yeah. everyone yeah and it's like when John McClane kills Tony at the beginning of the film you would then have that really great build up and tension between him and Carl Carl's one his brother who's who's one of the terrorists yeah. and you have that amazing showdown towards the finale yeah it's great it just adds that extra little bit of tension the, the idea that one of the terrorists actually ends up getting something personal with McClane and, like, Carl is such, like, a great figure as well. He's, like, so physically imposing. Like, th- but th- that's the thing about Die Hard. There's so many of these nice touches. Like, right at the beginning, they have this scene where it shows, like, basically Carl aggravating Tony the way that, you know, that, that brothers uh, do sometimes. As we can speak in our own personal capacity. That little touch perfectly establishes who they are and, and their relationship. They, they do this wonderful thing, I think, in action movies, which sounds really silly, but all the terrorists have have the same unique submachine gun, apart from Carl, who has, like, a completely different, like, assault rifle, and it sounds different and looks different. So whenever Carl is, like, fighting McLean or, like, going at him, it gives him a, a different presence. There's something really, really clever about that. But then... That's just Die Hard all over. I mean, the yeah. idea, the whole concept of Die Hard, of basically creating this action film, but restricting their movements, letting it take place all over one night in one building, and having a plot that comes out of that, is a really good idea for an action movie. And it's something that's been mimicked in various other forms before, and pe- people kind of say, like, oh, it's like Die Hard, but yeah. in this setting. And this but never executed to the same level. Never um, executed to the same level. But it's, it's a really good idea, because it means that you you give a kind of clear defined boundary for the action to take place in and there's a concept that's hardwired into this film it's easy to understand but then also gives you like room to play and have like fun within these boundaries i actually found when uh, researching this that the the spanish title of the film was called like la jungla de cristal right which means like the glass jungle 
Oh, which right. is like, and that, that it's what you're sort of saying, really. There's this idea that, yeah, they're in this, like, really confined space. And I actually thought that the... That's kind of been trashed in, in previous years, the fact that it's kind of called that and not something maybe, like, a bit more formulaic. But I think The Glass Jungle sort of describes the location and the area that they're in really, really well. Yeah, and actually, I, do you know what? I didn't know that. To be honest... Don't know whether I'll get any flack for this. I think that's almost a better title than Die Hard. Like Die Hard is a is obviously an iconic name, but what does that that doesn't have anything to do with the plot? <laughs> Apart from that, it's hard for him to die. But you know, like again, it's a really weird phrase. But like the the glass jungle. I mean, that's that's a much cooler name. Well, it was based on the book Nothing Lasts Forever, which mm-hmm. is an even worse title. That than is die a Hard. terrible title. I think I'd like to use a quote from John McTin in the director because he says my. Or going into Die Hard, he said, my principal concern going into this was that it was a story that concerned terrorists. And terrorist movies are usually mean, filled with all sorts of mean, nasty acts. I didn't say yes to this project until we figured out some ways to put it, in essence, some joy in it. So he's kind of looking... That's really he, interesting. He is looking for a way to almost like set the film free from that idea about it being like a, like a hostage situation. And he wanted to bring, I don't know, maybe a little bit of levity into it or yeah. some more entertainment, which he does really, really well. Exactly, and that's a great thing to do with, with an action film. If you can find some way to, to give it those moments of levity, then it gives you freedom to have fun with it. And I mean, that's what this is supposed to be about, right? Of course, yeah, and that's why people put it at the top of the genre. Yeah. At the top as the best action film ever made, because it is just pure joy. I mean, I've seen it so many times, I never get bored of it. No. And I notice new things every single time. The script itself, I almost think, is like Shakespeare, because it works so well. And again, maybe that is like on the edge of pretentiousness. <laughs> but it is just brilliant. I mean, I think that well, the way they, they wrote it was the first draft was by Jeb Stewart. But then Stephen E. D'Souza, who's gone on to, to write other like quite big action films, mm. he was kind of on set, and they, him and John McTiernan were making little tweaks to the dialogue and the script as it went along. Yeah. And that process must just have worked so well, because there's not a piece of that script that I would change. No. It's all so, so good. And it's, it's amazing, because I, I did a bit of reading behind it. It actually sounds almost chaotic, some of the choices they made with this like yeah they were editing the script on on the fly there was plenty of improvisation not not just rickman but other actors and stuff like the the guy that plays ellis or like actually the the moment with the chocolate bars actually was also improvised apparently so like all these different people are playing with different things and and at the center of it like bruce willis being brought in was like a massive risk and they paid him a, a silly amount of money but then weren't really too confident whether he'd actually make it as an action star. This was also Alan Rickman's first ever film performance. Somebody saw him in a play and said, like, oh, he's brilliant, let's get him in. I mean, this is such a weird hodgepodge of stuff going into making this. I think the great thing as well is that I always believe that the terrorists would get away with it if it's not for John McClane. Yeah. Because the, the way they move, the way they walk into the building, the way they operate, the plan feels so finely tuned. And it feels like it's going to work really, really well. I mean, it all comes down to the, the incompetence of the FBI or the predictability of what they're going to do, which is turn off the, um, the electricity on that grid. So therefore, the bank vault opens and they're able to, to steal all the money. And they're very confident in this happening. And yeah, they would have done if it's not for, not for John McClane. Yeah. And it's actually really... I think that's a really interesting part of the film, actually. Like, it, it's, it's seen as the archetypal action film and the greatest action film and although it is a film about 
violence. The violence isn't really as important as the kind of battle of wits that actually does go on. The action in it itself, like the shootouts, the fistfights, they're not balletic, they're not skilled. In fact, like, all of these things are actually much more desperate. They're more about raw survival than any sense of skill. McLean is constantly just getting away by the skin of his teeth. And he's almost, like, rat-like at some points. You know, this isn't, like, a cowboy or, like, a square-jawed hero. I mean, they take the piss, I think, out of uh, Schwarzenegger at one point. But he's not like his, like, action contemporaries. Like, the real skill actually comes from the intelligence. And, and like, McLean is good at shooting and he's vicious in a scrap. But he's not, like, a sharpshooter. He's not, like, a martial artist. Most of the time, he's either outmaneuvering his opponent or just taking a desperate gamble, like if it warrants it, just by gritting his teeth and absorbing pain in order to cling on to life one more time. It makes like what's happening to him more believable, more tangible. And it's one of the reasons as well I think Die Hard has gotten better with age. He also does, like by the end, he, he outwits the terrorists, even though how smart Hans is for putting this all together. In the end, it's not really... Uh, McLean's strength or like his 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 macho-ness or anything it's actually that he recognizes that Hans's intelligence is also his weakness his ego so he can then get in close and then like um save the day by kind of exploiting his ego and it's actually is like you know even though McLean does seem like Homer Simpson <laughs> at certain points and this is the archetypal action film. It's actually, there is something about, like, everyone's playing their own kind of, like, brain games with one another. Yeah, I love the self-awareness of John McClane. Like, when he's in the, the air vent, and he's, he's just he's just been shot at, and he's, can't, yeah, as you say, he's got all A while he's going to his teeth, and he's like, come to the coast, have a few laughs. It's just like, yeah, even, he's like, oh, this is, yeah, this is just what I want to be doing. Even this moment of pure peril, he kind of can, like, deliver that line it's just it's yeah it's absolutely extraordinary it's so good the, the other thing i really love about john as a character is and you know by extension you know, die hard as a film is john does have a journey in the film and, and his whole journey apart from to, to save the day from these terrorists is actually it's how he emotionally he reconnects with his wife uh, he realizes uh, at, at like his lowest moments that he's been like a shitty husband and a, and a shitty partner that the whole film is basically about like they're estranged because she's got this career that's taken to her to a different city and he stayed in New York because he's a he's a cop there and he he didn't want to follow her he was being basically stubborn and he realizes that he should have supported her when she became successful but instead he was kind of hampered by his own masculine ego and he realises he has to learn to climb down off his pedestal and that saying I'm sorry is as important as saying I love you and that's actually a very progressive attitude to a male-female dynamic in at the time and it's it's not the only one I think like this time round I like noticed in Die Hard it actually is quite a progressive film you know you were starting to get to a stage where you had this idea of career women or like you had the idea that like people women might be pregnant in the workplace you know, Hans Gruber himself, I think, is more of a businessman villain. I think he's got more in common with Gordon Gecko or Donald Trump 
than he does with a Bond villain, really. And that's like a villain for the 80s, right? Yeah, well, he's sort of using the hostages as a way to get political prisoners out of other countries, but it's just a facade. It's just a way for him to screw over the FBI. I mean, it's probably good at this point to talk about Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Yeah, speaking of like, we we can't really talk about all the different terrorists without talking about Alan Rickman. If you look at the reviews of the time as well, all the best things that people have to say are about... (laughs) Alan Rickman as, as Hans Gruber and he is it's just like every time you watch it he is just amazing he runs that line really well and I think like Rickman always did this This I think this is him at his best between b- being someone that was like hammy and chewing the scenery a bit and putting in like a really good genuinely terrifying performance and Hans runs that line really really well they are appearing as terrorists but actually he is just a thief he's just he's just a ruthless operator mm. he wants money and he's there to get money and he'll do anything to get that money and he treats anyone acting nobly or anything with a kind of complete disdain he, he like understands it he's not like a complete monster but he is utterly ruthless, and he's there to get paid, and that's just what he does. And, like, Alan Rickman plays it with, like, such relish, and, yes, there, there is a real sinister, like, edge to him. The composition of this character just sometimes can just be so, like, funny, as well as, like, really, really watchable, and, like, you, you love to, like, hate him, but you also kind of love him too. Yeah, there's this effortlessness about the character as well that, yeah, Alan, that's Rickman, so true. That Alan Rickman brings to it, and you just can't imagine anybody else playing that role yeah it's good that you mentioned the humour because there are throughout the film and not just you know in the relationship between Hans Gruber and John McClane there are loads and loads of bits of black comedy and Hans Gruber himself as a character loves to recognise that I think there's that bit where he's talking to Theo and he says to Theo oh, can you, after they've killed Mr Takagi he says oh can you still get the bank open he was like and Theo's like well you didn't really bring me along for my charming personality <laughs> and you, you see Hans Gruber sort of laugh at that yeah. and you kind of get that sense yeah he, he's obviously like a like a professional but yes. at the same time he has this yeah self-awareness about him and, he, and he's kind of very open to to bits of pure black comedy yeah you notice new things in Die Hard all the time but you notice new things in Hans all the time as well like little moments where he just sort of is admiring the, the vault he stops in kind of awe of it like a little bit There there's a reason people still talk about him as like such an amazing villain so I guess the, the thing is like this is my Christmas movie and I do, I do really love it as a, as a as a Christmas movie and I love it because it is it is a subversive Christmas movie, even though actually, you know, it's pretty mainstream now. Lots and lots of people. I mean, the the, the Prince Charles does loads and loads of screenings of it every year. Cinemas all over do screenings of it every every year. It's an accepted uh, Christmas tradition. Die Hard, but it still feels uh, and will always feel different to every other Christmas movie. But like, I do have a relationship with it as well as like like action cinema. I mean, you were talking about it in terms of Shakespeare, and you worry it's get onto pretension but i really think it's like the hamlet of action movies like it created this high watermark that i think every action movie can be judged by i think looking back at it recently as well I, I actually looked at some of the reviews at the time and basically they're sort of split between people saying oh it's brainless fun and other people saying like oh it's just a trashy action film and it's just baffling to me 
that people could view it that way. It's, it's almost like enraging because it, it's like, no, this is an absolute masterpiece. This is an absolute classic. Uh, it's such an amazing piece of work and like it only gets better the more you watch it. And it is a genre piece, but it, it, it almost like transcends the genre to a certain extent. But I think that maybe it's just proof that that really the, the amazing thing about Die Hard as a film, one of the really amazing things, is that actually it has got better with age. Yeah. It was never really appreciated the way it should have been when it originally came out. When we watch it now, it, you can actually see it for the masterpiece that it is. You can strip away whatever lens they were looking at through as the 80s and realise that those bastards didn't appreciate it properly. But I think we can now. Yeah, and it's a Christmas masterpiece as well. I it mean, is. It's all all the the motivation with John and Holly is for them to get back to their family, get back to their, their kids and have just have a normal Christmas. And there's this idea that with Holly's watch that she's been given by the, the Nakatomi Corporation that that's the thing that Hans Gruber is holding on to at the end and John manages to unwrap it from Holly's wrist so Hans Gruber ends up falling to his death and it's that rejection of commercialism that is the, you know, the true meaning of Christmas actually <laughs> is about, you know, it's not about what corporations shove down our throats, it's about being together as a family and yeah, that's what, what should be really celebrated and if you still don't think it's a Christmas film then go watch Love Actually. <laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all! <laughs> Theo, are we on schedule? One more to go, then it's up to you. And you better be right, because it looks like this last one's gonna take a miracle. It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles, so be of good cheer and call me when you hit the last lock. Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as Cellcast. And come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine.